This week on the podcast, I have Jeremy Sawinski. He is an ultra runner who has been doing this sport for almost 15 years. And in that time, he has gotten some pretty big podium positions, like winning second at the Moab 240 back in 2019. And more recently, he has done the last annual Heart of the South race, a race put on by Laz, the legend who puts on the Barkley Marathons. And if you know anything about Laz, you can assume that this race is nightmarish in more ways than one. Jeremy and I met completely by accident in a sauna at my old job. I heard him talking to someone else about ultra running, and I immediately got interested. So decided to chat after he got back from this race. In this episode, we talk about some training and nutrition things, but we also just talk about the deeper meaning of ultra running and why we do such long distances and what spurs us to like put ourselves through this. It's a really good conversation, and I hope you get something out of it. So let's get to it. Welcome to the Eat Well, Sleep Great, Run Far podcast. My name is Will Franz, and I'm here to help you go farther, faster, and longer without injuries, gut problems, or giving up your favorite foods. All right, this week on the podcast, we have Jeremy Sawinski. He is a runner that I met uh, very strangely, and we'll get into that in a second, but he recently ran a race called the Last Annual Heart of the South, which is just eternally long like somewhere around 350 miles we'll dive deeper into it in a second but first Jeremy thanks for being on the podcast and I actually really wanted to ask you about chalk and Berlin and your recent trip there because I always kind of like to start with something that isn't necessarily completely running related to get some know some a little better so why were you in Berlin for a chalk festival yeah, so my my daughter, she um she she does a lot of chalk art, you know, like uh, sidewalk chalk art type stuff. She's done a lot of stuff locally, and um, they have this festival in Wilhelmshaven, Germany, and uh, they she submitted some of her art there, and she was the only one from the United States that was accepted into it. So it was really? pretty cool. Yeah, we went out oh, there, yeah. and uh, she, I mean, we we got to meet like you know, artists from Mexico, Italy, Serbia, um, Ukraine, you know, of course, Germany, you know, it was just, it was incredible. It was an incredible experience. And the level of talent out there was just unbelievable. It was, and to see my daughter compete on that level, it was such a proud Papa moment, you know, like it was, yeah. it was so much like, Oh man, she's, she's just, she's just stellar. You know, like, I mean, I'm, I'm super proud of her I, and I've got two kids and I'm, I'm proud of both of them, but this was just such a great, you know, dad daughter moment. And so we got to, to slum around Germany for a couple of weeks. It was a lot of fun. It was a good time. That's super cool, man. I mean, yeah. I, I don't think I've played with chalk art since I was 10. Like, how do you get into that? And like, how did your daughter like find that to be her love? Yeah. So it, it was, it's kind of cool. Cause like when, when she was younger, um, you know, I, I, I used to be, well, I, I kind of dabble in art every now and then. And I used to do, I still kind of do tattoos and, you know, just for fun. Super cool. and, and, uh, so she would, she would sit there and like, I would, she would try and draw the cat and I would draw her while she was drawing the cat. And then, 
they had a, a chalk festival in the gateway one year. This was like years and years ago. And so she, her and I did it as a, as a team. And then um, she kept going back every year, but it happened to fall on the same weekend as Bighorn uh, 100. So yeah. I, I missed it a few years so I could go run. <laughs> I could go run. And she just took off with it. You know, like she's, she gets a lot of, she does a lot of work up at the day, at daybreak. She's done, if you've been to the break up in daybreak, there's a, a chalk piece out there in their patio. She's done, she's done a, a good amount of work. Um, so she, it actually pays her bills. So damn, um, that's so cool. Stoked. Yeah. She recently moved out to Portland and she's living the dream out there. So that's awesome, dude. Yeah. Uh, I can see how you'd be super proud of that. That's really yeah. cool. She's a cool, she's a good chick. So you and I met half naked in the sauna at a gym where I work <laughs> and you told yeah. me <laughs> and you, I heard you say to somebody that you were running some stupid distance in the middle of somewhere. And that's, <laughs> that's exactly what I heard. Cause I had a headphone in and I pulled it out immediately got interested in you and I started chatting. And first off, like, are you, are you a regular sauna user or was that some sort of heat training? No, no, no. Yeah. In fact, I, the only reason I got a gym membership was so that I could train in the sauna and this <laughs> run, like, yeah, I, I had one a long time ago to gold and I just quit going. And then I, EOS was just like super cheap. So I'm like, yeah, I'm going to do that. And then as fate would have it, I usually go to the one in Tavisville, but their sauna was closed. And so then I went to the one in the Murray and then, um, yeah. It, and so I just kept, I kept thinking like, you know, this, I'm really bad with heat. Like sure. I have, uh, I mean, like I completely melt down numerous times and I realize I sign up for a race that's going to go through the South. So you've got humidity. It's going to be at least a hundred degrees and I suck at heat. So I, I thought I'm going to go into this with prepping as much as I can. So I, I got my sauna time up. I, my goal was I wanted to get up to an hour where I could sit into the sauna for an hour and I don't know how much it helped me physically. I know that mentally, no matter how hot it got, I thought, well, it's not 160 degrees. Hot. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, man, it didn't kill me in the sauna. So it's not going to kill me today. So it, it was, you know, it, there was some comfort in knowing that no matter what life threw at me or what the course threw at me, I did everything I could think of to prep for that, you know, absolutely everything. And this was, you know, it's rare that I find a race or a run that really scares me. And this mm. one really scared me, you know, I mean, the nerves were just over the top and I, you know, the couple of weeks going into it, just uh, ridiculous nerves. And, and I, you know, watched YouTube videos or anything to keep my mind off of it. And all I could think of is, you know, holy shit, what did you do? <laughs> like, what did you do? <laughs> yeah. Oh, man, that's awesome. Like, what about it? I, I mean, first, let's let's knock out the easy ones. Like, how long was that? So the, the race ended up being 327 miles, but you don't know the distance. And that's that's the crazy thing about it is <laughs> you, <laughs> you don't know how long it's going to be. <laughs> we should if, if anybody doesn't know like i'm just gonna like let the cat out of the bag real fast this is run by Laz, the same dude who runs barkley marathon so some crazy shit anyway please please keep going yeah yeah so it was like i knew that it, it ends in the corner of georgia and i know that one year it went west one year it went east and so 
this year we're thinking it's either going to go north or south, you know? And so I thought, well, if it goes south, maybe we go into Florida somewhere, you know, if it goes north, who knows? Um, so yeah, so basically you meet and then, um, you learn the course as you drive to the start. And then okay. he, he drops you off at a hotel. You have what he calls the last supper where he goes over any last minute details and he gives you the map that night. And so <laughs> I, I was actually relieved to know that we were going North outside okay. of the fact that everywhere, like I was watching the weather channel and every, every, every area, the weather channel was like, record-breaking heat and i'm looking yeah. like everywhere was just record-breaking heat and i'm like dude i am screwed no matter what direction it just <laughs> it was very much like it whatever right yeah and so you know i i tried to pay attention on the bus ride up like okay you know there's a, a big gap from here to here and so stock up in this town or whatever whatever but after so many hours of sitting in the bus i mean we watched like three movies and you know, we stopped for lunch, watched a couple more movies. It was a long ride. And, sure. you know, so I, I couldn't retain it all. And the only thing I could think of is, you know, if you make it to this part that you notice, happen to notice, then good job. <laughs> you know, like, it's like, it was, it was pretty nuts. And it was just so, I mean, I was glad to be on the bus because it, it was starting, you know, like, I always say, like, the best part about this part is we're at this part you know, I like so I, I was glad to be at that part. But I also tell myself, you know, like on a hundred mile race, when you start, I, I will usually think like, well, in 24 hours, you'll be almost done, you know? And in this case, in 24 hours, I won't almost be done. And I even had the thought of, well, in a week, hopefully you'll be almost done. So it was, Jesus Christ. it was a very, yeah, like it was a very, it's such a weird thought to have. It really is. And, and so it was, it was a lot to swallow, you know, like it was a lot to, to chew on and a lot to swallow. And I realized you really can't, you can't, you can't chew on that much. You know, you really, you know, you, that night, you know, I'm looking at the map and I'm trying to make a plan. And really all I came up with that night is I got 20 something miles. We ended up starting in Frankfurt, Kentucky. And we got 27, 20 something miles into Lexington. So I knew I had to carry enough food to get there. And then okay. from there, I would just figure it out. Sure. And so all the planning, all the whatever, it, it just completely went out the window. Yeah. And, 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 I, and I think that's probably not a bad thing. You know, I, I wish that I had kind of resigned to that fact sooner that, you know, there's really it. And, and and with me, I mean, like everything is is a direct parallel to life, you know, like everything is very, you know, I mean, you can stress stress till the end of the world and what's going to happen is going to happen. And all you can do is prepare for it the best you can. Sure. But. But yeah, it was uh, and 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 stop me if, if I'm rambling. Too no, much. please keep going. I'll cut you off. But, if I need to. But yeah, so I you know, we we start in Frankfurt and had our last supper and. Um, you know, that morning we started, I can't even remember what time we started at. And I was running with my friend, Bob, who, uh, he moved to Phoenix. He used to live in Salt Lake and we ran, you know, for the first 20 something miles and out of nowhere, my, my calves start cramping up pretty yeah. good. And, and I start thinking, dude, you are screwed. Like you can't, what are you thinking? You know, like, <laughs> 
you're, yeah. you, you got over 300 miles to go and you're already cramping. And so of course I freak out a bit and yeah. I, I slow it way down and I just walk and I thought, you know, I saw Bob and this, this other lady we were running with Arabelle, they, they took off and, um, and then, you know, after a while, it kind of just started to all come back. And by the time we hit Lexington, I caught back up to Bob and Arabelle and, and Bob was in bad shape and he's throwing up and he's, he's in really bad shape. And he had to, sure. I remember we, we, we stopped at like a, it was like a Walgreens or something. And, you know, we got like Pedialyte and all this stuff to try and, you know, yeah. and, and like the absurdity of it is like, you know, we're, we go in there, we're buying all this stuff. And then I go out in the parking lot and we're chugging a bunch of whatever we can. And I'm just pissing on the side of the, the parking lot and, you know, getting dirty looks and whatever. <laughs> and I didn't care, you know, it was like, whatever. Um, yeah. I mean, I, you're about to run 300 more miles. I yeah, think. exactly. Yeah. And and every so I he ended up getting a hotel in in Lexington and I yeah. I kept going and it was kind of it was not even kind of it was it was lonely and sure. and um every 12 hours you have to check in like you gotta uh you log into this you know little thing and tell them where you're at and and then they post an update or whatever right. and um the the frustrating thing was every 12 hours you realize how much further you have to go sure you know so it's like you you just start doing the math and like shit 12 hours i've only gone this far you know and i've got how far to go and it, it brings you back into it every time yeah. and and that was a lot to kind of get over you know it was a lot to kind of you know how how do you find your you know on trail you can really i feel like you can find your peace and you can find your zen you know you're out in the in nature and the sunrises and everything is it's really beautiful and but this was all, it was like all freeway, you know, it was Ooh. all, it was, I right, mean, it's a road race. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And, and a lot of times the shoulder is barely wide enough for the white line, sure. not to mention you and they're going 50, 60 miles an hour. Sure. And some of them really don't want you there, you know, and yeah. it, it really gets, you know, it takes a lot of getting used to because you really rely and you trust on those people not to hit you. And, and it's scary. And it's, you know, with every, every surge, you know, you get this surge of adrenaline and then it wears you down it wears you out. And, um, and it really kind of starts to, to get to you. And, you know, so, you know, the first night I, I, I was soloed and I, I, I hadn't quite figured out what it meant and how it, what it took to survive. You know, I, I thought that I would just kind of go from like gas station to gas station or town to town. But what I didn't realize is you can't, you'll, you're going to run out of water. And so yeah. you find yourself like scavenging, you know, like going, going behind like fire stations or churches or even houses and, and just find looking for spigots that you can, that you can basically just hopefully sneak in and, you know, grab some water. And it was really kind of, it was interesting, right? Like, sure. So different, right? Yeah. I and, mean, I think this should be a probably point where we pause, like where you have been, I looked at you up in all China and your first ultra was 2008 as far as there. Mm -hmm. There might be some earlier than that. So you've been doing this for 15 years. Yeah. And like it says you have 59 on there. I'm sure there were more. That's usually how things work. And in spite of all that, in spite of all that experience, 
this felt this weird to you? This was completely out of the norm, you know, completely out of the norm. And, and I even tried, like, even in training, you know, like I would think, okay, like, let's, let's go on like basically a, a point to point. I don't know, you know, whatever, you know, at one point I like, we ran like clear out, you know, through Bountiful back around by the airport and back. And I mean, like, God. yeah, stupid, ridiculous stuff. Right. Yeah. And none of that is even remotely the same, you know, like, to be honest, it was, it, it was just like, you know, like, cause usually on a run or a race, you have like, you have like, you get into an aid station and there's food, there's people telling you what you should eat or shouldn't eat. You know, sure. there's people, you can get water, you can get all this stuff and whatever. But I found myself, like I go into a gas station and I just wander around. Like, what do I feel like eating? Well, I don't feel like eating anything, you know? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I bet. I and there's nobody there to tell you, Jeremy, you better get something here because yeah. you're not going to have anything for 20 more miles, you know? Yeah. And so you have that stress in your head and, 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 you know, and that's early, you know, like early on, you know, like, I remember going into like an Arby's and I'm like, oh yeah, I'm gonna get like a milkshake and fries. And I order all this food and I ate literally half of it. And of course I can't carry a milkshake with me, you know? Mm. So I end up dumping it, you know, I, I, I was going to throw up, so I didn't eat the rest of the fries. And I'm like, how are you going to do this? You know, like this doesn't really work. There's no one there to take care of you and nobody gives a fuck, you know, nobody cares what you're doing or what you did or, you know, how far you've come or how far you're going. You know, you roll into a, a, a a town and think that you're going to find some sort of encouragement, but to them, it's just another day and you are just another person. Yeah. And, 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 really that's how it is, you know? And yeah. I think a lot of times in a regular race and, and I'm not saying that all runners are like this, but I've volunteered enough at races and you get these prima donnas that come into these A stations and they think that there's something special and really none of us are something special. You know, we're all the same and we're all, you know, you're no more important than the person who's volunteering. You know, the first place person is no more important than the last place person. You know, we're all equal value. Yeah. And and this really highlighted it, you know. I get that. No. Nope. Yeah, I I've done more aid stations than I've done races. And it I actually haven't had much of the prima donna experience, but I do say like please thank your aid station workers because oh yeah. You know, they put their they put a lot of shit into there. They don't have to be yeah. out there. Hundred percent. And I mean, yeah, we get free races or whatever, but it's like it's just we do it because we like it. <laughs> and because yeah. we want to help and yeah. when that's lacking it's hard i mean yeah. it's honestly more than an ultra more than like a 350 mile whatever race this reminds me so when i was a teenager i like hung out with the punk crowd a lot in albuquerque new mexico and some of those kids went on to be like literal train hobos across the country and they'd like hobo around with their dog and like hop trains and go to all 50 states and like wow. hike the appalachian and that shit and this is what that sounds like to yeah me. Yeah. You're basically through hiking, hoboing around. And yeah, you're, just... you're pretty much just homeless, right? Yeah. 100%. You're homeless and, and you find what you can, you scavenge <laughs> what you can. And and it really, you know, it, it it was hard to kind of find the groove, you know, because it's so far out of the norm. You know, like usually sure. finding the groove is like, you know, you, you realize that 
you know, broth and Coke mixed together gets you through the miles. And so that's what you get at the age. Thing. You know, like that, <laughs> yeah. that's usually what finding yeah. the groove is. You're right. <laughs> but in this situation, it was like nothing like that. You know, it right. wasn't, you know. It, so it was, like, what were the rules here that made it so, I mean, I'm sure there's some people thinking like, well, just go like carry the vest with you, like bring all the stuff, like bring like your packs. Like why was this so impossible to plan? I know you couldn't have a crew because it's last, like that should be without saying, but also you you can't. Uh, Beyond that though, like what made this so difficult to prep and plan and like try to like take care of yourself for? Yeah, I think, uh, you know, I think part of it, and and it took me a couple of days to realize what it meant and what it was about. And um, he really designs this to, to force you to rely on the kindness of strangers. And and, you know, through all the training and all the miles and everything, you know, like I never what I should have really practiced was how to say I need help, you know, and yeah, and that took a lot. Like, believe it or not, that's hard to say, like, I need help yeah. and for me. That was the difficulty. And, and even there was some talk on Facebook beforehand where there was some local runners who had family that were going to try and go out and crew. And for that reason he waited until the very last moment to release the map. I mean, like last moment. And he wanted to force you to rely on other people. And the hard part was when you're, you know, as slow as I felt and as slow as I was, we were kind of, I was kind of at the front of the pack. And so when you come into a town, they didn't know anything about you. They didn't give a shit. You were some homeless dude coming through. Whereas the people towards the back, you know, by the time, you know, so many people come through, you had like full on, they call them angels or road angels. Or sure. Like that. You get that on like Appalachians and stuff too. Yeah. Like trail angels is what they're called. Yeah. And I mean, people are just amazing. Like all the stuff that they come out and they give you and all this stuff. And, and it was like, you know, we didn't really have that at the front of the pack. You know, you got a lot of dirty looks. You got a lot yeah. of like, you know, on, on like day two, there was a guy who um, there was a car that was coming towards me and I, I saw him like he swerved, like he was going to give me a little bit of room. And then I see his, he's coming over towards the white line and I see his tires are like going over the white line. And I'm like, holy shit. And I put my hands out. I'm like, what the fuck? And he hits my hand with his mirror. Really? And I'm like, holy crap, dude. Like it stung. My fingers swelled up and bruised a bit. And I'm like, this is nuts. Like this, you know, like they don't know there's a race coming through. They don't care that there's a race coming through, you know, like it's very, you know, there's, there was times where the police were called, you know, because one time they thought somebody was dead and it turns out it was just someone falling asleep. And it was like, it was nuts. And some of these towns were so small that like, um, like the high school girls came out to the gas station, the only gas station in town, because they wanted to see the runners come through. Like this was a big deal, you know. Yeah. Like at, at one place, we we went through Jamestown. The, the local newspaper came out and did a story on it. It's like they interviewed me and Bob, and they like, I mean, it was it was that big of a deal to them, and and it was a bigger deal to me that they were so accommodating, you know, like that. I mean, they would give you anything and everything you needed. And yeah, but anyway, back to some of the rules. Um, 
you couldn't have like, you know, obviously you can't take a ride. You can't get in someone's car. You can't go in somebody's house. You're not supposed to go in somebody's house. Um, there was, uh, I'm, I'm trying to think, none of these rules, of course, were actually written down or provided. You know, it was <laughs> kind of like, sure. you know, it was like, the only information I could find was from like last year's race and none of it was of value to, the, to you know, like yeah. this year's race. But it was very, uh, you know, in typical Laz fashion, it was, you come into it with uncertainty and you're forced to just kind of thrive in that, you know, like you have no choice, but to, to take that uncertainty and, and live with it, you know, and, and make it home, you know, if that yeah. makes sense. Could you bring like a pack or yeah. a credit card or something? Like yeah. So, so I had a pack and I, I, I had like the bare minimum in my pack and I still, I probably, it was probably heavier than what some other people had, but mm. again, I didn't know how to, to ask for help as much, you know? So I figured I would have to carry at times enough water for up to 30 miles, sure. you know, enough food for up to 30 or 50 miles. You know, I wanted to be prepped for that. So yeah. I had trained with a full weighted pack for months leading up to it. You know, it didn't matter how small a run I was wearing everything that I was going to be and carrying everything that I could. And, um, it was, it was kind of interesting to see, like, after a while, I was so good at living out of my pack, you know, like I, I knew exactly where everything was at. I knew exactly how to take care of my feet. I knew exactly how it needed to go back in, you know, how everything needed to sit, you know, I could fill my water in like hardly any time at all. And, and it was comfortable, you know, like I felt, I felt like it was home, you know, like my home was in my pack. And, you know, the only thing that I didn't train with, which I did end up getting, which I was glad was um, early on in the run, you know, probably mile, it was in Lexington. Uh, one of the other runners had one of those solar umbrellas. And um, he's like, I'm not going to use it. It was like the end of day one. And he said he wasn't going to use it. He was just going to throw it away. And me being the cheap ass I am, he's like, do you want it? And I'm like, hell yeah. I mean, it was like a nice one, you know? And so I thought I'll carry this for 300 miles. Even if I don't use it, I'll carry it for 300 miles because it's free, you know? (laughs) So I, I carried it. And the next day, like, um, I got to this town that I thought would have food and water. And I ended up getting water from a lady who was carrying, I helped her carry in her groceries and I got water from her, but there was no food and it was hot as hell. And it was like 10 or 11 miles to the next, you know, town. And I'm like, what are you going to do? Like, what can you do? There's nothing you can do. And so I had to have like this come to Jesus, like, okay, Jeremy, like, here's what you're going to do. You're going to bust out that umbrella. You're going to pretend like you're in the shade and you're just going to go. And so from then on, you know, up until like towards the end, the umbrella was my saving grace. Like I love, you know, like I looked like a total idiot, but I love that. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I bet. That's awesome. I, I kind of love that. So I asked this question of everybody on here and of everybody I've, I coach, and this is even more applicable. Why do this shit? Cause like oh. ultra ultras are hard, right? Yeah. And I asked this specifically the athletes I'm about to coach like in intakes. Cause like, I think it matters. And yeah. 
I think we're all chasing something. Yeah. Um, but you've been doing ultras for near on a decade and a half. And why keep doing it? And why pursue something this heinous? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, that's a good, that's a good question. Um, and I guess I, it, it kind of all started, I mean, back a long time ago before I even got into ultras and just kind of, you know, like I didn't run in high school and I hated running, ran sure. for basketball, but it wasn't fun. Sure. And, yeah, me too. You know, same still. Yeah. <laughs> I'm not a runner. Well, I'm at, exactly. I am now, but wasn't yeah. until about a year ago. And, and a long time ago, you know, I was in my early twenties and my, my brother was 18 and he died unexpectedly and but man i'm sorry oh uh, yeah it's been a while but I you mean, know sure like, but it still sucks yeah and that kind of like kicked it off you know like i i needed something to help you know the physical pain i needed the emotional pain to match the physical pain you know yeah. and and so i realized like you can only cry so much when you run you know because you got to breathe and so yeah. i would just run and run and run till it felt better and then i would run home and, and that's kind of what got me started. And then from there it was, you know, I literally went from five K's to marathons. I didn't do any half marathons in between. And then training for a marathon, I realized there was bigger stuff. And so then I'm like, holy shit, well, if they can do it, I can do it. And, you know, my first ultra was like around Lake Tahoe. It was like the 72 miler. It was all road training for that. And I, I realized there was Wasatch 100. I'm like, what the hell you like hundred miles. And so then it just got like, everything like every time it didn't kill me I realized like well what what next you know like what next and if you know I think to myself if somebody else can do it I can do it but I agree 100% around we're all you know we're all chasing something or we're running from something you know and I don't think that normal people run like that and and I and I I, I think there's like, you know, like, of course, being healthy and staying fit and whatever, that's important. But let's be honest, you know, like it, you run three, five miles a day, you'll, you'll be healthy, you know, like, yeah, I mean, we can admit like this is you're training a high level athlete, high level sports are not healthy. And that's no. fine. I'm not saying it's a bad thing. There's other reasons to do this shit. Yeah, we can, we can say that. And I mean, you clearly found a thing you're good at, too. There's definitely a talent like you've got second in Moab the year Michael McKnight won, like, you're I was just pure luck. I mean, don't don't do that. Like, <laughs> pure luck. <laughs> I mean, we could say that, but it's not. And like, there's a there's some skill to that, but there's also like a lot of work, and I appreciate that too. It's hard, man. It's it is hard. It yeah, and and that's what I I found with like the longer the distance is, it's it's less physical ability and more heart. You know, like what I mean. There's obviously you got to prep and you got to train for it, right? Like you want to go into it prepared, yeah. but at one point you're going to be like, holy fuck, what did I do? You know, <laughs> yeah, I am not ready for this. This is nothing yeah. like what I thought it would be. And what do you do with that? Right. And, and in some regards, isn't life like that, you know? Yeah. And, and that's, that's kind of a cool, that's kind of a cool thing, but I definitely think I'm running from demons and I, I think everybody has them. And I think that every time I don't die, I think, well, that didn't kill me. So what you know and there's been a couple runs where i've i've felt like that was too much you know and mostly heat related you know sure. i've had a couple times where it was like you know i remember getting done with one and 
it was, I was in bad shape and just thinking, you know, I, I didn't want my kids to see me like that. And I didn't know what was going to happen. Like it was scary. Yeah. But then of course I started thinking, well, how do I prep for that? You know, other people can do it. So what do I need to do to make it happen? Sure. So heart of the South for me was a big test on that because, you know, physically wise, you know, like that was, it was a big thing. It was a big hurdle to overcome for me. And they, you know, like after, after two days, they say like two or three days, you're acclimated. And so the whole, through the first couple of days, I'm like, just get to that, you know, just get to, to three days and, and you'll be good. And, and when I got to that, I, I, I felt good, but the downside was, is I had like this incredible, like emotional breakdown. And it was, it was something that I could not have trained for. I couldn't have prepped for. And it was very, it was scary. I mean, you know, like I had been alone for, you know, I don't know, the better part of a day and a half, maybe longer. And, you know, it seemed like every car was just on the verge of hitting me. Every car was on the verge of killing me. And, you know, I, I, I had crossed this dam and I went into this really beautiful area. There was no phone reception and it was heavily wooded. And um, it, on a normal situation, it was it was just beautiful but I hadn't heard like a human voice in so long. And I started singing this song that I made up and, um, and just the sound of my voice, like, and this, this is going to get a little weird and a little, probably too emotional. Who knows? It's fun. But the sound of my voice, like it made me break down and I, Mm -hmm. I started crying and I, I started like, I could see myself as like a little kid and I wanted to tell myself it was going to be okay, but I knew that was a lie. I knew it wasn't going to be okay. And, and it really hit me hard. And I, and I like got angry and I got, I started yelling and just like mentally just really lost it. And I thought about my kids and my family and my brother and my siblings and my mom and, and life and everything, you know, and it really just weighed on me incredibly heavy. And, and I didn't have any phone reception, which sometimes that's like a lifesaver, you know, like having someone you can call in those times and just, sure. you know, just even to downplay it, like, oh, you just need to eat, you know, or, or whatever. Right. Sure. But to me, this was like the end of the world. And, and, and I, I would like, I would try and like not get wrapped up in what was going on. And I would tell myself, okay, I'm not going to look at my watch for like two hours and I'm not going to look at how far I've gone at least for two hours. And by then surely I will have gone at least like seven miles or something, you know? And so I wait for two hours and I, I'm like, okay, yeah, now let's check. And, and, you know, like, let's see how far you've gone. And I, I looked down and it turns out I, I'd gone, I'd gone like a mile and it had only been like 12 minutes, you know, like dude, just the mental grasp of it, you know? And I'm like, and you've got how many hundreds of miles to go, you know? And it was just so demoralizing. And I, I come up out of this, this road into this neighborhood and I start to get reception and I call my wife and I, and I think to myself, I'm, I'm out of it. Right. Like I'm feeling okay. I feel all right, but I really wasn't. And Mm. I, I called her and she's like, I'm telling her that I, I just wasn't, you know, wasn't feeling so good. And I, I just, you know, like physically I was fine. And she was telling me, she's like, you know, Jeremy, you can do this. You're going to make it. It's going to be okay. And I said, no, I, I don't, 
I don't think I will. And she's like, you can, you can do this. And she references the run, like you can finish this or something like that. And I said, I'm not talking about the run. I said, I don't think I'm going to make it, you know? And, and it hit me like right then, like, you know, I was like on the verge, you know, yeah. on, 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 you know, like I'm, I'm balancing on the white line and everything in me is like, you know, I'm tired, I'm delirious and whatever. And these cars are just coming by and they're coming by and they're coming by. And I'm thinking to myself, it takes literally about six to eight inches to the right. And it's all done. All of it. Yeah. And, and I know this is kind of a, a taboo subject, but I think it's important to to talk about it because I think that it's, I think that, you know, a lot of people struggle with that. Oh, and God. yeah, like everybody on this, sorry, but like knows that I like, you don't. So you should know this. I struggle with depression. My dad struggled with depression, like the whole thing. So like safe place. Absolutely. Yeah. And, and I think that, I think that there's comfort in knowing that, you know, it's going to be okay. And, and it's not going to feel like it's going to be okay. And, and I, I realized at that moment that I, I can train all I want, but at the end of the day, I need, I need help you know, like I need friends, you know, like I need, yeah. I need a distraction maybe from myself. Right. Like, I mean, I've seen myself in my rawest forms and I've never seen this raw of form. And what I realized I needed to do was, you know, at this point about four or five miles ahead was a store and my friend Bob was a few miles back and I was going to wait for my friend Bob because I knew that, you know, I knew that together we could get through it. And, and, and I feel like maybe life is a bit like that, you know, like you can't do it solo. You know, like you have to have, you have to have that companionship, that friendship or that something, you know? And, and I'm glad that I waited for him because, you know, I think he needed me as much as I needed him. And, and we, we, we journeyed the rest of the way together and, and I don't know that I would have could have trusted myself otherwise, you know, I needed to have that distraction of, you know, whatever it is we need to do, we need to do together. And, but that was a pretty big moment for me. Yeah. And it, it really kind of, uh, I, I, I kind of look forward to facing that demon again, because I want to, I want to feel like I conquered it. And I, I don't feel like I did, you know, I, I felt like I, I did what I had to, to get through, but I don't feel like I conquered it. And maybe you never do, you know, I'm not sure you do. You might, I don't know. And maybe it's like but, an addict, right? You know, like if you're addicted to alcohol, like you can't just have yeah. a drink, you know, like you're always going to have that demon, you know? I mean, the solitude gets weird, man. Like I, I'm a very introverted person and I can spend a very long time alone. And I used to work night shifts driving snowcats in Park City. Mm -hmm. And you spend a lot of time very alone with your only contact being a ham radio. And sometimes you don't even like, sometimes that thing doesn't work. And I was always fine. Cause it was like eight hours or whatever, 10 hour shifts, 12, depending on the day. But people got weird, man. Yeah, <laughs> I believe it. People get really fucking weird at 3am. Yeah. Cause they're just like, start saying the most asinine shit over the radio. Yeah. Cause they're just, they're lonely. Yeah. Yeah, you sleep during the day when everybody else is awake and you haven't had real human contact for like four months. Like, if you go to a 
you get in a snowcat at 3 a.m. in like late March. Conversations are weird. <laughs> I bet. <laughs> yeah. Very weird. Yeah. Yeah, I think it's very, um, I don't know. And it, I've had moments before where, you know, in Moab a few times and, you know, even in hundreds sometimes where you have that isolation and you, you see the raw you and what the core you. And a lot of times it's, it's a lot of joy, you know, like you strip away the ego and all the pride and stress work and this and that, whatever. And you realize that you're a good person as a whole. And, And in this moment, you know, I felt like it, it went beyond that. Like it, you know, it was almost like it went into my deepest corners of my myself and put a light on it. And, and it was, it was like, holy shit, you know? <laughs> I mean, what do you, and I mean, I've been both of those sides. I'm like, what do you think that might've been here? Cause it can't be the mileage, right? Like Moab's two, four, 240 miles. Like if we're, this feels like an asinine statement, but 80 miles isn't that much. <laughs> so like it at at that point you're already so deep that that disparity is not it what why no I don't think it was the mileage to be honest I think it was the isolation I I think it had to be and it was so much more isolating about this than like burying yourself in the desert because I think to some people what you're talking about sounds way worse to me but I think to some people like being alone in the middle of the desert sounds a lot more isolating. Yeah. Yes. And no, though, because you figure, you know, in Moab, I think the longest stretch between aid stations are maybe, you know, 20 miles, maybe 30 miles or something. But here, like you, yeah, you have towns you can go into, but it's just, I mean, the conversation that you have with these people is like, you know, is that all, you know, like you're just buying stuff at a gas station or something, you know, like there's yeah. no real connection. There's no real, uh, there's nothing, you know, it's you, even yeah. though there's people around, you're still alone. And, and, and then even, even then, you know, like you go through the night, there's nothing, you know, you don't get any aid stations, you don't get any connection. You're, you're scavenging what you can find, you know, you're getting water from anywhere. And, there's nobody to even talk to, you know, there's no one to, to make you feel human. And, and, and you see the cars and you see people, but you, you also realize that it's not, you're not in that same world, you know, like you see the cars as like a threat because they're potentially going to hit you, you know, or it's, it's very, to me, it felt very different. You know, like I didn't find, um, it took me a while to find the heart out of heart of the South, you know? Yeah. And, and I think that I finally did when we hit, um, when we hit Jamestown, Tennessee, I think. Um, and, and, and then I, it, it was different. And I think part of it too, was because it's also when I kind of opened myself up as well, you know, like I wasn't, it wasn't like, I'm just going to do this on my own. It was more like, I really need your guys's help, you know, like even if it's just a conversation. And I remember I, I walked into a gas station and, uh, and bought, you know, like lottery tickets, which normally I don't even, you know, whatever, but everyone in the gas station was super nice. And I don't know, like, I've got a, a YouTube video that I, I pieced together that, um, 
I, I kind of some of the the more fun things I, I kind of highlighted in that. But, you know, it was everybody was really nice. And, you know, we were going through town and people are like stopping and asking what's going on and if we need anything. And like, I mean, we I try to find a like we try to find a place in the shade to like sit and sleep. And we couldn't because so many people wanted to talk to us. And it was just amazing. Like it was amazing how nice everyone was. And it was such a high and it was such an incredible moment. Um, and I love that town. I mean, it was the most rundown, you know, speck of a on the map type of town. And it was beautiful. You know, it had its its quirks and its its odd things, but it was great. And, and you, and you kind of had to be careful with those, too, because you would you would get these highs and, you know, the lows are coming. You know, I mean, the pendulum swings heavy and. And, and it and it seems like, you know <laughs> you, you're kind of like oh, I'm gonna pay for this later I know that I will and I remember like you know I had like I had two Jeremy's I had like the well rested Jeremy and the, the the less rested Jeremy and and I would like you know it, when I would get some sleep and I would I'd like you know make a plan and I would uh, I would like okay I would actually go through the map. And I would like at mile, whatever, there's a church, you can sleep there if you need, there's, you know, like map it out, like get food here, do this, do that. And I would do that to try and get myself through the night. And I would know that nighttime Jeremy is going to be like, daytime Jeremy's a dick, you know, <laughs> he has no idea what the fuck he's doing. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, man. And, and I would tell myself, okay, so when nighttime Jeremy says that, just tell him, just chill out. Daytime Jeremy will fix it tomorrow, you know? <laughs> so like, sure enough, nighttime Jeremy come around and I'm like, what were you thinking? This is total ridiculous. And there's nothing open and whatever. And, 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 you know, like, I, re I just remember like the stress of, you know, before I had figured out the nighttime daytime Jeremy was I would scroll through the map. And as I'm scrolling, I'm falling asleep. And the pressure of like, You've got to plan what you're going to do or you're not going to make it. You've got to plan. you got to plan. But I don't think you do have to plan. I think it's going to happen the way it's supposed to happen. Mm. And I wish I could have let go of that earlier because there was so much stress. You know, there was so much like uncertainty and that pressure of like, oh, shit, you know, like what am, what am I going to do for the next 30, 40 miles? And and you know what you're going to do? You're going to suffer. That's what you're going to do. It doesn't matter what you what you plan on. You're just gonna suffer. Yeah. And you're gonna you're gonna love it. You know, like it was just, you know, like I I I'd come up with some stupid idea of like, you know, there's two types of food. There's like the A food and the B food. And A food is what's in your pockets, and B food is like burritos that you put in your pack, you know? And so we had to get both kinds of food. And, you know, it was it was just like so planned out. And or I tried to, but I was so unsuccessful. And, and I love that, you know, at the end of it, you really, you really need, all you really need is what you need for that moment. And beyond that, you'll figure it out then, you know, yeah. it, it's not like, you know, you're not going to make or break the next 50 miles by what you do right now. You know, uh, once you get that far in, you're just, you're screwed no matter what. So yeah. you just got to survive, you know, really, that's all you have to do. And so, it's, it's beautiful. 
Yeah, I mean, there's a kind of a piece that, and I get that, and I feel like there's some like application to life there as well. Like oh, some yeah. days you just kind of keep rolling, mm-hmm. and I think earlier you touched on like very. To me, there's always been a big distinction between like being alone and loneliness, mm-hmm. and those are not the same. No, right? And, like figuring out how to get through the lonely pieces mm-hmm. is hard. So like if you're, I don't know, this deep in, how did the how did all this turn out? I mean, I know you finished, so like spoil the ending. But how'd we end up? Um, how did it end? <laughs> yeah. So it really, I mean, it it was really kind of kind of cool, kind of interesting. Um, I you know after me and Bob had met up, you know, I I I had a lot of purpose in taking care of us as a group. And by the time we got to Chattanooga, I was very, um, was out of it. And especially like the last day, I didn't know, like it didn't click. Like I knew I was with some sort of organization, but I didn't realize who, what, what I was doing. And I found that I had like forgotten everything I had learned. And I was so worried I would forget all of the stuff and all of the lessons that I had learned and all the stories that I wanted to, to remember. And and I had to really rely on Bob to get me through, you know, the last day specifically. And it was just hot as fuck. And oh my gosh, dude, it was, it, it was unbelievably hot. And, um, you know, we, we, there was a point where we're, you know, running out of water and, um, we, I, we, we find this house finally that, uh, well, a couple things, same stretch. I know this is kind of a tangent, but um, I found this this little house in the last day. It was like this little shed type thing and the doors were blown out and, you know, or blown in and the roof was gone and there's this pipe coming out of the mountain in this big basin and there's, <laughs> there's water coming right out of this pipe and it's into this basin and I'm like, holy shit, I found a spring. We're saved. This is great. And I'm hugging it before I can even think to even question it. Right. And I tell Bob, we're, we're good to go. And he comes in, he's like, well, I don't know, maybe we shouldn't, maybe we shouldn't drink it. And I'm like, dude, I don't care. I'm, I'm drinking it. And he looks on the inside of the door. There's a sign that says, do not drink, not fit for human consumption. And so I thought, well, at this point I'm pretty much hosed, but it didn't end up killing me. And, uh, you know, we, there was a couple really nice people that we ran into. Good. Um, we found, <laughs> yeah, we found this house that was more like an old motel and, uh, and they, uh, it was like a junkyard out in the front and there was trees growing through broken windows in the center. The center unit had like an, an air conditioning unit that was on and I go banging on the door and I'm like, trying to see if I can find a spigot and nobody's answering, but I can hear TVs on inside. Okay. And I, he yells and he's like, yeah, come in, whatever. And I, um, so I do. And, uh, and I can see the, the TV had kind of like lit up the rest of the room and there was a bed in there and there was a guy in the bed and I couldn't see very well. It was really dark. And I asked if he has a spigot and he says, Oh, you know, you don't want to drink the water from out there. And he says, um, he calls for his wife and he's like, we've got some bottled water you can have. So they give us a couple bottle bottled waters and we go outside because it was just kind of creepy in there. And by this time he had made his way out of bed and it turns out that he's missing a leg and he's in his wheelchair. Mm. 
he lights up a cigarette and um and he's they're in their doorway and we're you know topping off our waters and drinking what we can and and they said hey it's really hot outside do you guys want some want some ice and i'm like fuck yeah i want some ice so we go back in and they're telling us about this ice machine that they had that, that they're just like super proud of and she pulls out this plastic bag that's clearly not made for ice. You're like, she cut it off the bottom of something that she mm. found. And she's holding this ice like it's a baby, you know? Like, I mean, like, this is like, they're pretty excited for us to see this ice machine and this ice that it made. And she's telling us, don't worry, go ahead, use it all because it'll make more. And and I'm filling up my bladder with ice and my bottles with ice and 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 I leave there and I'm thinking to myself, they literally had nothing to give. Yeah. Everything that they could, they did. Yeah. And I thought, man, you know, like what an incredible moment, you know, like to to feel like these people are are the type of people that I feel like I should be giving to them. But for me to have to take help from them and to for them to be able to help me it was such a role reversal yeah. and, and it really kind of opened my eyes to the generosity of people versus, you know, like how often do I give like that? You know, do I give like that? You know, it, and the, the answer is probably no, you know, I probably don't. Yeah. I don't think that most was, of us do. Yeah. And that was a, that was a pretty big moment. So anyway, that was on our way to the finish in the last day. And luckily they were there because they really saved our asses and, you know, we, we go, you know, it was like 107 degrees or something ridiculous like that. And it was so hot. Like you could feel like I get like goosebumps coming up from my legs because of like the heat just radiating off the pavement. Sure. And, uh, you know, and in typical last fashion, he has these like stupid ass signs when you get close and it says something's dumb, like only one mile to go, but it's really like five miles, you know, and, and, and it'll say something like, almost there you know and you're like yeah yeah whatever like you can see it on your google maps you know like you know you're not almost there but in the grand scheme you are almost there in comparison but every little turn and like you go through this stupid like i don't know cornfield type thing i don't know what it is and uh you know and and i got so pissed off at these dumbass signs like i was like fuming pissed and I didn't want to give him the satisfaction of like <laughs> these signs and throwing them into the woods, you know, because I knew that's what he was getting at. And, you know, we, we get to the finish and it, I don't know, for some reason, it's like some rock, you know, like you yeah. got to go. I don't know. There's some logic to it that I don't quite understand. And he, um, and we get done and, uh, and we are sitting there kind of just, you know, talking about our adventures. And I, there was two things that we talked about and that I asked him that really stuck out in my mind. And the first thing was uh, we were talking about the, the, the lady who was winning the race early on and she was so thirsty that she was picking up bottles on the side of the freeway and drinking them. She said it, as long as she knew they weren't pee, she would just drink them. And cause you see them everywhere. Right. Sure. Yeah. And, uh, and I said, Holy shit, I would never, I would never do that. And he looked at me and he said, well, you've just never been thirsty enough. And I thought, yeah, you're right. You know, yeah. like I've never been that thirsty. And I started thinking about it. And especially afterwards, you know, I, when I think of someone who does something that I don't agree with, you know, like 
no matter how heinous or how ridiculous or how stupid it is. And I think I would never do that. But maybe I've just never been lonely enough. Maybe I've never been desperate enough. Maybe I've never been hungry enough. You know, maybe I've never yeah. been angry enough. You know, we're all there. We're all that person. We've just never been to that extreme. Yeah. And it, it really kind of put things in perspective for me. And I know that's kind of a little bit of a cliche, but, you know, it really kind of made me think about a lot of the things that I passed judgment on. And the other thing that we talked about, I had asked him, um, what was the biggest excuses for biggest reasons why people dropped out? You know, like, because I was was curious, like, was it the heat? Was it the cars? You know, was it, what was it? And he didn't tell me what it was, but what he did say was that the excuses he got from the people who quit the race were the same excuses as the people who finished the race. And he said, the only difference was the people who finished just kept going. And I'm, I'm like, you know, especially afterwards when it all sat and it, it processed with me, you know, again, that's like life. You know, we all have the same excuses. We all have those thoughts of suicide or we all have those things, those reasons why we should quit. Sure. But do we keep going? You know, like that's the question. And, and what is it going to take for you to stay on the left side of the white line? You know, like, mm what is that, you know, is it a friend? Is it, you know, like, we all have that reason to step across the line. But do we do we, you know, and and my my biggest win for me personally, on this whole journey, wasn't the finish line, it was that I stayed on the left side of the white line. Mm. For me, that's what it was, you know, in reality, I felt like I could have gone forever, you know, like, really the only thing that stopped me was the finish line. You know, like that was it. I, I, I was, I was, I, I could have lived out there indefinitely. I felt like. Yeah. I can see that. And at the it's end, cool, you know, it, 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 and it was hard because like every 12 hours you're reminded it's a race. Right. And then you get done and everybody's like, oh, <laughs> good job. You finished top, whatever. And you're like, no, nah, you're not getting it, dude. You're not getting it. You know? Oh dude, that must be <laughs> such a weird there weird perspective like I, i've had friends who've done like the pct and shit and they just like that you get lost in it for months and then when you come out of it like you have to return to life and they're just you like can't. i don't fucking know how to do this anymore <laughs> yeah you can't there's just no way like how do you go back to work and you think yeah i give a shit <laughs> you know like <laughs> the job's going out late i don't care you know uh, yeah, <laughs> you know what i weird, need dude. Yeah. like i i need i need literally i need a little bit of water a little bit of food and a little bit of shade and that's it you know it's very strange it's a strange like perspective builder to do something like that yeah yeah it was beautiful i love it and i miss it as much as i swore it off when i got done i thought (laughs) i thought to myself what would i do different next time and even in asking that question i realized you're gonna do it again you know you're gonna hard time not doing it again i i don't know how i can't today i was mapping out a course to west yellowstone <laughs> and i'm like thinking yeah i'll go through jackson hole like i think i can do it go up through bear lake and there'll be about 400 miles and i'll just tell my, my my wife i'll meet you in west yellowstone in a week you know like how do you not you know that's cool yeah it's it's pretty nuts i i do miss it i it's hard to get back to normal shit and back. even having that time with my friend and, you know, 
it's yeah one day we'll be old and we won't be able to do that stuff yeah it's a hard thing like I spent most of my 20s like traveling and doing whatever the hell I wanted to do and I miss it and it makes it very hard for me to take many things seriously which makes me very happy to have found at least some semblance of a career in like fitness and ultra running and like coaching people who also have at least like a similar mentality of mm-hmm. just like fucking chaos in your brain because <laughs> like <laughs> yeah. I need I need that like I was going to be a lawyer man Dang. Like, I did that for I did like two internships and I was like I don't understand your head <laughs> so, like, so like, I've just been searching for a very long time to like find this weird place and I fell ass backwards into it because I think that's just there like the chaos is there yeah it's really hard to place that into what we have considered like normal society sometimes like stability and yeah. you know like yeah what's acceptable you know I don't know man like, I really struggle with it. <laughs> yeah. I hear you. Yeah. I hear you. But, well, cool, man. Thanks for chatting. I have a couple like quick ones. Like, I'd love to hear something that you're really proud of that does not relate to running long distances. Oh, man. Oh, let's see. Super proud of my kids, obviously. Oh. Um, on a side note, uh, I. I'm really big into ponds for some reason. <laughs> like I, what do you know, mean? like I built a pond in my backyard and it's okay. you know, I've got like koi in there and like, Oh shit. Oh yeah. I'm, I'm like, I'm actually looking into like maybe doing it for a living. Like I love it that much. Like I want to really? do like swimming ponds and like, you know, like, so basically instead of like a swimming pool, you have, it's like a swimming hole, you know, yeah. like, like, like out in the country and it's in your backyard and it's, I mean, yeah, man. I used to work landscaping up in Park City. People build that shit all the time. You could, yeah. you could do that. Absolutely. Yeah. I love that stuff. You know, like the, the science behind it, you know, like I love that shit. Yeah. I'm That's pretty, fascinating. Yeah. I mean, it's, I, I find too that like, I, there's nothing that I get into that I just do half-assed, you know, like it's always like, <laughs> yeah, that sounds right. you know, like ridiculously yeah. obsessed over it, you know, like I'm studying like how to you know medicate koi and like you know the the whole uh, ridiculous <laughs> science behind it and oh man but I, I just when I'm passionate about something I really dive into that yeah. and even like odd enough too like I taught myself how to code so I write code Great. for work it's you awesome. know stupid stuff like that like where did that come from you know like it's just mm-hmm. I get excited about something and I I run with it but I feel that tying up in this this yeah. yeah which is, is kind of why i'm like you know oh well shit you didn't die in 300 miles you know what about 500 <laughs> you know yeah, can you do that absolutely and then i started to feel like a transcom <laughs> yeah exactly well and then now like people on facebook they're that are like i'm getting friend requests from are like have done transcon and i'm mm. like well shit they did it you know yeah. like why can't i you know take a couple months off i don't know how long it takes and just figure well, it out um friends with uh matt shepherd he lives in canada and he just paced dave proctor on his like trans trans canadian uh, trans canadian uh fkt and it's cool man it's yeah. cool to hear about like he's gonna be by the time this comes out that'll that interview will already be out and it's a cool 
thing to hear about just the yeah. like, the effort and the push and what it took and the like 68 days of straight bullshit and running on a broken ankle because he was so close to like wasn't close to it, it was like 17 days but he put in 50 already so like you know <laughs> just, yeah. Yeah, exactly, yeah. Just, one more mile so <laughs> it's yeah. just it's hard man to like and, day, and I guess Matt was saying like even after because he's single person like pacing and crewing for him so he'd like drive ahead and then pull back and do all the shit and he was just like the monotony was almost peaceful and like the what that was was like there was a there was a happiness to the consistency of it even though it was like very chaotic consistency yeah 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 I can't imagine right like thinking you know like even going you know to the heart of the south and thinking well the cutoff is 10 days so 10 days Jesus, are coming out so long <laughs> yeah so so the thought of like worst case you'll be out here for 10 days but transcon like holy it's like two months yeah. yeah like thinking in a month i might be halfway done you know three yes. dude it's nuts i love it so and that's one last thing, like what's one message you would like to get out to the world? Uh, I don't know. Um, probably. It's probably find what keeps you on the left side of the white line, you know, that. that's really good. Whatever it might be, whether it's a song, a pet and a friend, you know, whatever it is. Stay on the left side of the white line. I like that a lot. Yeah. Well, cool, man. I think that's a good note to end on. If you have anything else to add, go for it. Otherwise, no. I I really appreciate the time, and I I hope that there was at least something good out of it. That uh, something at least entertaining, you know. <laughs> so. Yeah. Well, thanks, Jeremy. I really appreciate it. From Likewise. Weird. Completely chance meeting in a sauna. I really appreciate having this conversation <laughs> with you. That was crazy. It was crazy. Well, especially too, because it was like, it pops up in Facebook, like, you might know this, You're like, yeah, because I think yeah. friends on Facebook or something. And then all of a sudden, it was like, I think so. And it was just like, I hadn't, I've never seen a post of yours. We chatted and I'm like, one of your posts like pops into my feed. And it's like, oh, that's that fucking guy I just that met. Guy? <laughs> <laughs> <It's really> weird. <laughs> Which I mean, could just be completely random chance. I get, you know, algorithmed 2000 people a day, but like, it's, yeah, it felt weird. <laughs> it definitely <laughs> yeah, felt weird Facebook watching me like that much huh? Uh-huh. yeah I feel like it's just tracking my phone at all times I just oh, yeah. openly sold my soul to it to like build a business and try to make a difference in people's lives but it's uh, it's it a is, weird thing right I mean necessary evil or some, some sort you know it's at least a trade I've made it's what it yeah. is <clears throat> well thanks man I'm gonna hit stop record uh, hang up for one sec Thank you to everybody who listened to this. I really appreciate it. Hope you got something out of it. And we'll be back next week with more stories and more training advice. Thank you. Thank you for listening to the show. To be clear, I'm not a doctor nor a registered dietitian, and nothing you heard was medical advice. You should always speak with a qualified medical professional before making any changes to your training regimen. If you enjoy the podcast or found it useful, please take a couple seconds to give it a rating or share it with a friend. Every little bit helps. And if you want more of this information, please head to the Trail and Ultra Running Nutrition Group on Facebook. You'll be in good company with other like-minded people who like to do hard stuff outside.